Miss Oldmeyer carefully read the note that had been affixed as usual to her door and smiled. She had taken a liking to Joan the moment they had met, only a few days after Joan and the girls had moved into the apartment across the hall. That woman is going to work herself to the bone. Won't be anything left for little Charlie if this keeps up, murmured Miss Oldmeyer as she fiddled in her pocket for the keys to Joan's apartment and made her way over to tidy the place up and watch over things until Joan returned in the morning. Opening the door, Miss Oldmeyer was not surprised to find no sign of Charlie in the main living area. There were just two small rooms in this apartment, both down a short hallway to the left of the main carpeted room that opened directly into an eat-in kitchen with a small table. Various pieces of lovely art furnished both rooms and adorned the walls. Yes, Cassie is truly talented. It was a right decision, Joan. Difficult, but the right decision, Miss Oldmeyer commented. She often spoke her thoughts openly, in part because she was alone most of the time and just enjoyed hearing something. But here especially, she knew that more often than not, Charlie was listening from behind her closed door. These walls were thin as paper, after all. You know, I'd have more to do if either of you made more of a mess. This she said as she picked up a few stray items that Charlie had left lying on the floor that Joan had been unable to get to in the short time she had between jobs on these double shift days. For a moment, Miss Oldmeyer allowed the sound of her simple cleaning work to fill the silence. And then, she found a small flyer about an upcoming tryout for the girls' basketball team in the local school where Charlie attended. Well now, here's a sport I can get interested in, Miss Oldmeyer mused. Why, if they'd have let us play the way you can today, I would have been quite good. Did you know that we could only play on either the offense or defensive side of the court? Miss Oldmeyer prattled on in reminiscence of her own youth. We played sixes back then, three forwards and three guards, each in our own half of the court. Forwards could shoot. No one could dribble more than twice before passing. As you can imagine, the scores were low, very low. This time, Miss Oldmeyer cocked an eye to the door of Charlie's room. Usually, her stories would elicit something, a sound at least, but there was nothing at all. This was unusual. Charlie was a light sleeper and rarely fell asleep this early in the evening. Perhaps some cookies would spark something from the girl. It wasn't good for her to mourn the loss of her sister like this. With that thought, Miss Oldmeyer moved into the kitchen and began to get out the ingredients for her famous chocolate chip cookies. I was just with Mr. Kettle. The smooth, slick voice of Jinx slid around Brian's shoulders, making the hair on the back of his neck straighten. He wasn't scared of the man, who was much smaller than he, 
but still, the little man found ways to get under his skin. Not interested, Jinx. Brian replied as he set his tool belt and satchel down on the workbench inside the small maintenance room. An assembly of light bulbs and wires and grills and fuses littered the untidy space. Brian had better things to do than straighten up. He knew where everything was in any case. Well, you should be, Brian, replied the little man. If Jinx was going to get the brunt of Mr. Kettle's eye, or he was going to be certain to pass that down the chain as much as possible. And besides, this was his favorite part of the job. Rent is going up again. Brian sighed and turned around to face the little man. <sighs> can't keep raising rent. These families can't handle it. You need to stand up to him. Oh, like you do? His building, he can do what he likes. And besides, there will always be more renters. You still can't find an apartment this cheap this close to the train lines. People know that. They'll pay. The little man, unfortunately, was right. That doesn't make it right, muttered Brian as he walked to the hook where he had hung his coat for the day. Besides, it's nearly Christmas. You can at least wait until the beginning of the year. Well, I wouldn't be so worried about the tenants if I were you, added Jinx casually. Not taking the bait, Brian pulled his coat on and made to push past Jinx to the door, adding, I worry about the building, Jinx. That's my responsibility and my job. As Brian headed through the door, he heard Jinx's overly casual voice behind him. Well, it may not be your responsibility for much longer. Not if the sale goes through. That caught Brian's attention, causing him to pause and turn around. What do you mean, sale? He asked with more interest than he desired to reveal. Kettle has an offer on the table. I drew it up for him, and it's the best he's gotten in years. He's already told me that I'll be staying on with him, but you know how new ownership is. They usually replace the existing management team. Jinx let this linger, smiling deeply inside as he watched Brian's face take it all in. Yes, let him think about losing his job during the holidays. That would certainly wipe that smile off his smug face. Brian fought to remain in control of his emotions. Surely Jinx was just baiting him as usual. He managed to turn around after a forced reply. Well, I guess we'll just see. Mr. Kill is never happy with any terms and usually kills these deals after having his bit of fun. Oh, yes. I'm sure you're right, responded Jinx with a sly smile. Mind whirling, Brian headed out the revolving doors into the night. The great white tiger pawed silently through the thick forest, feeling oddly at home. Since his arrival here, and the discovery that he could converse with the other creatures of this strange place, Marvelous had worked tirelessly to track down the object his former master had sent him to recover. This was such a strange place, but a place that someone like himself could gain significant advantage once he learned the rules. Marvelous had seen strange powers at work in the circus tent in the world from which he had come, but here they seemed to be more pronounced, or perhaps magnified. These verbal thoughts were strange as well. Having concepts become vocal images in his head was almost as unsettling as everything else, 
But one thing he knew for certain, he was still one of the most powerful creatures here. Still, it irked him that he was stuck running errands for that bird. She would have made a tasty snack, if not a light one, had the creature not found him almost immediately and overcome Marvelous with a demonstration of its power. Low growls in multiple directions let him know that he had arrived at his location. Carefully, he placed the tablet on the ground, not wanting to make a second trip, and in reply, he offered a growl of his own. Now, now. No need to get excited, big fellow, snarled a voice from the darkness ahead of him. I have something for one of you called Ferris. It comes from the bird. Hisses surrounded him in response to his insult of Millicent, the great blue heron who despised being referred to as a common creature. That will earn you no friends around here, responded the same voice who Marvelous now took to be the wolf that he sought. You should show greater respect to those that are more powerful and wise than you. What do I care? Take the stone or do not. I'm here for one purpose, and when that is done, I'll be gone again. <laughs> you cannot leave here. No matter where you may have come from, you do not hold the power to escape. Only the Great Master can do that. And that one has not been seen for a very, very long time. The laughter that followed was disconcerting, <laughs> as was the response. Slowly, a wolf's pointed snout and face appeared from the darkness. Its irksome smile spread in a row of sharp white teeth. In a blink, the great tiger had pounced, clamping its powerful jaws around the wolf's throat and pinning its head to the ground on top of the stone, before laying a great paw over its muzzle. Marvelous ignored the growls and howls all around him, knowing that these creatures would do nothing while the leader's life was literally in his paws. Lifting his jaws away, Marvelous growled a deep reply. I would not be so dismissive were I as weak and careless as you. Should I find that you have information about the star that I seek and are withholding it, well, that would be a very bad day for you. Very bad indeed. With that, Marvelous pushed back and away from the wolf, who clambered quickly back onto its feet before snarling. Leave now, while you can. Should our paths cross again, I assure you that you stand no chance against all of us. Marvelous merely smiled in response and watched the wolf carefully take the slate into its own mouth before slinking off into the darkness. Then he too turned slowly and padded his way back to the stone grotto. Miffed the chipmunk and Salazar the yellow finch 
flitted and hopped their way back to the great stump as Adeline had instructed. But given the circumstances, the finch alighted next to Mift on a moss-covered rock just at the edge of the clearing surrounding the great stump itself. The massive breadth of the great stump made it clear that this must once have been an enormous tree. Neither had ever heard the story of how this stump came to be, but both felt certain that it must be a very sad story indeed. You two are unusually silent, noted Adeline as she gracefully walked into the open area surrounding the stump. The soft skin decided not to come then, the antelope asked. Wake up? Wake up. Chittered Mift softly. The news is not good, offered the finch as it fidgeted on the mossy stone. Oh? Inquired Adeline without further comment, making her way toward the stone upon which they were sitting. We followed her tracks as far as we dared, but, but there were so many of them. They, they, they took her to the... They... Go on. They took her to the place of stones. Millicent has her then, and probably the key as well, sighed Adeline, who turned and walked back toward the stump. There are so few of us these days. I'm afraid that Millicent has gathered many of the woodlings to herself. Turning her large eyes back toward the small pair, she paused a moment before adding, I'll need you to find old Pete. Adeline watched the pair closely to gauge their response. Hey there! Hey there! Hey there! Chittered Mift as he began to hop up and down and scurry about on the mossy stone. He'll be fine. I don't like it any more than you, but I must gather what's left of the woodlings. I need you to find old Pete and convince him to help. But, but... I'll have no excuses, Salazar. You did not bring the girl or the necklace. This is now our only option. Adeline added a long, hard stare at the end to indicate her opinion was firm and that this was not a request. Hey there! replied the chipmunk glumly before nodding to the finch, hopping off the stone and disappearing into the forest. Mift and he do not get along. You know he tried to eat Mift the last time. Trust me, I know all too well. But Pete can help. I hope. This last, Adeline spoke into the quiet clearing, then turned and with a tenuous step, leapt to the top of the great stump. Now to call the woodlings. So this deal, what uh, did you have in mind? Crafton asked after settling himself to the left of the opening. The mark on the stone to his back looked very much like a snake, but he paid no mind to the silly scribblings of this strange world. Patience, patience, replied the heron demurely, its long legs carrying it to the far side of the stone grotto. As she passed each great stone, Millicent took a moment to take in the shape before moving to the next. You are an outworlder. There have been more of you in recent cycles, but there is something different about you and your friends. Crafton watched the taller creature with a cold eye, 
He could be patient. But he also felt that this one was just trying to play him for a fool. As I told you already, we were sent here to retrieve something. Yes, yes. The Celestial Star, you say? Others have been looking for the same thing. Many come and go, and never find it. But you know how to get it. If not, we are wasting our time here. In spite of himself, Crafton ruffled his feathers and stood taller, cocking his head to one side as he eyed her like prey. <laughs> the heron's laugh was scratchy and forced, falling dead in the tomb-like <laughs> silence of this stone-circled enclosure. Do you have any idea what this star is? This time the heron spoke in a whisper, turning her head at last to look toward the muscular Kia. How silly of me. Of course you do, since you wear its moon twin. The heron had come to rest in front of one of the large encircling stones and turned her gaze to it and the markings etched onto its solid face. Crafton followed her gaze to see what appeared to be an etching of a star surrounded by concentric circles with a large moon in orbit around it. It was then that he noticed the orb around his neck glowing softly. A tingling sensation filled him as it had before when he was luring the child to his trap. Yet this time, he could feel the stone through his wings and down into his talons. For a moment, he felt stronger, larger, and then the orb faded, and with it, the strange sensation. Yes, you see now, don't you? You come to us seeking something from our realm, but you bring with you something of near equal power, something that we have been seeking for many cycles. This time, the heron seemed to grow larger as darkness surrounded it. Thick, vapor-like tendrils began to pour from the large surrounding stones. With a flurry, the Kia launched into the air, gaining altitude rapidly and swooping around the enclosure, looking for the right angle at which to strike. Ah, so you do have some spirit, don't you? <laughs> I will not take it from you. And, as I said, I have a proposition. Finding no other place to alight, the Kia swooped back to its original position near the opening and folded its wings, while keeping a sharp eye on the taller bird. It was only then that his keen eyes saw the hundreds of tiny pieces of bone that littered the ground around the large stone slab and within the cracks that ran across its surface. The heron's cold, crackling laughter interrupted his thoughts as this realization struck him. <laughs> Come now, let us be allies. Together, with your moon and my star, we can rewrite all of reality. In this world. In any world. With that, the heron flapped to the top of the great stone in the center and beckoned with a wing for him to do the same. After a moment, the Kia hopped atop the stone and cautiously approached the other. An alliance, then. Tell me what you need me to do. 
This is unusual, Mr. Kettle noted as he settled himself into a plush chair in the small conference room on the first floor of Building 14. We could just as easily met in my corporate suite downtown. He continued as he leaned back in the chair. I'm reviewing your proposal as I told your lawyers. I'll let you know if I'm interested in selling. This time he leaned in and settled his arms on the table, staring intently at the man who sat opposite him. Oh, that's fine. I'm just old-fashioned, you might say, replied the businessman who was apparently behind the recent generous offer for his building. The offer was so generous, it had given Kettle pause. He had been trying to sell the place for years at a fraction of the price this man, or the company behind him, was willing to pay. Kirstman, is it? Kettle would normally have gladly taken the offer, but he felt as though he very much had the upper hand. What could this man possibly want with a run-down tenant building like this? Oh, I am merely the representative of a larger multinational. We have holdings in most of the large cities. It's a simple business, really. We are creating a globally available community of affordable housing. Our tenants assist in the upkeep and safety of our facilities in exchange for lower rents. I have been looking at all the buildings across the city and your holding here seems to fit our interests quite well. Kettle did not like this man at all, acting like a big fish in his city. He certainly didn't need a competitor in the subsidized housing market. This building was one of five that were veritable cash cows for him, even if they were long overdue for significant and costly improvements. Well, I'm sure you'll find that we run a very tight ship around here, Rupert. A strange name you got there. Not very common. Must have given you a rough time in middle school with that, huh? <laughs> Kettle sneered as he leaned back into his chair. He loved to push people's buttons. Though his sneer lessened as he noted that Mr. Kirstman was already standing. Well, it's been wonderful to meet you. I have the keys from your agent and permissions from your lawyers to do a foot inspection. I've already seen the floor plan, so don't worry about feeling as though you need to show me around. No one ever notices an old man, do they? Kirschman's smile broadened as he picked up his briefcase and turned toward the door. Rushing to his feet, Mr. Kettle offered a hand too late, as Kirschman had already turned away. So he made his way quickly around the table to intercept the old man, and putting a hand on Kirschman's shoulder as he reached him. Well, that's just fine. Feel free to have a look. Just take care not to disturb the residents, and be careful on some of the floors. We try to keep things orderly, but we can't keep out all of the riffraff. He gave the man's shoulder a squeeze, finding him oddly solid for such an old-looking fellow. Crispin looked at Kettle's hand on his shoulder, long enough for Kettle to smile and give him one last squeeze before taking it away. Yes, people can be unpredictable, he noted as he stepped out of the door into the open foyer. As he did so, he caught sight of a younger man exiting the building, and from the photographs of the staff, it appeared to be the maintenance manager. He paused a moment longer to watch as a second individual followed the other slowly to the door. Upon reaching the door, the second man, thin with slick dark hair, turned to reveal a wicked grin that had alighted on his face, one that slid swiftly away as he caught sight of Kersman and presumably Mr. Kettle just behind. Ah, there's Jinx now. If you want to go over the papers again, that's my bookkeeper. 
Kettle's voice rolled over Rupert's shoulder as the other man ignored him and turned back to the bank of elevators. Indeed, Kettle was liking this man less and less all the time. Part of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar the Yellow Finch is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Mift the Chipmunk is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Adeline the Antelope is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous the White Tiger is voiced by Mike Ashley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent, the Great Blue Heron, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard Stewart, Charlie's aunt, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the Maintenance Chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, the Building Manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the Landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast. Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Gates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris, the Wolf, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the child services worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmeyer, the caregiver, is voiced by Bob Anit from the Drive With Us podcast. Rupert Kersman is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy-Go-Lucky Podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy-Go-Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy-Go-Lucky podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season. taken it upon themselves to combat this problem with the Drive With Us podcast. Join them every Thursday as they test each other's knowledge. So you thought you were done with school, but you're not. You're still getting graded. And guess what? 
We suck. Discover revelations. Touche, isn't it? Like, yeah, it wasn't mean. A shatoosh. So you know how shahs are the kings? They have a shatoosh. <laughs> a royal touche. And just plain weirdness. Bop it is like that one Indian game that we used to play where you would all sit in a circle. No, one person would sit in a circle. Wait, wait. <laughs> how can one person sit in a circle? So what are you waiting for? Go to drivewithuspodcast.com to get your free weekly dose of anti-boredom and help us save the commutes of the world. Drive With Us Podcast. Learn a little, laugh a lot.